This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 817 with Omi Bell. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 817. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Omi Bell is a multi-talented computer scientist, business strategist, and serial entrepreneur. She also has a background in performance, K-12 education, and IP strategy. Her innovative approach to creating access to social and financial capital has earned her recognition as a leading voice in the industry, as well as praise from prominent figures such as Robert F. Smith and Damon John. As the founder and CEO of Black Girl Ventures, Omi has made it her mission to provide resources and support to underrepresented entrepreneurs. Under Omi's leadership, Black Girl Ventures has funded over 300 women founders, representing about $10 million in revenue and creating over 3,000 jobs for the U.S. economy and raising $5 million in financial and social capital. Her impact extends beyond her organization as she continues to be an advocate for social justice and equity in the business world. Omi has been named one of the top 10 most powerful women in business by Entrepreneur Magazine. She's been named top 40 power women in tech by DCA Live and one of the top 25 black leaders for the Black Voices for Black Justice Fellowship. 
this woman is a powerhouse. <laughs> and when we had the opportunity to invite Omi onto the show, it was such a fast yes. I also had the opportunity to do her radio show around the same time. And so now I feel like we're besties because we've had multiple conversations with each other and it's been so, so fun. So it's funny, we both had kind of scripted like show flows when we were going to interview each other. And we were like, okay, like we'll start with this and then we'll get into that. And for me interviewing her and her interviewing me, we ended up like throwing the scripts to the side. And we really ended up because we just had such easy, natural conversation. We kind of just went with it. And oh my goodness, so much good stuff came out of this and the interview that you're going to hear today. And then also the interview that we did on her radio show. So with all that, listen in to hear Omi share how women disassociate from their bodies over the course of their life and how hard it is to get out of your head and back into your body later in life. This is like such a huge struggle for me. And we had a lot of fun talking about that. Then she shares the mental shift for moms from what do we need in the early stages of motherhood in terms of you and your child to what do I need in later stages of motherhood. She shares how being a 17-year-old teen mom laid the foundation for her to become the founder and CEO of Black Girl Ventures. She talks about how she went from renting out her living room as an Airbnb to make money, which is such a great story, to becoming a female founder who funds other Black-owned companies. Oh my goodness, this arc is incredible. You're going to love learning about that. From there, she digs into how she used the template of megachurches to build her business around community without being culty, like megachurches, just FYI. But that was, it's really interesting to see the parallels. I learned a lot. And then she digs into the responsibility of owning and using your creativity to show up in the world and giving you permission to step into your creativity by just dipping your toe in the water as a first step. Oh, this is a great conversation. It's juicy it's fun. You're probably going to laugh a little. You might take a few notes. So please join me in welcoming Omi Bell to the Shameless Mom Academy. Omi, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to get into this conversation. Oh my goodness. When your team reached out about coming on the show, I did like a quick scan and was like, yep, Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And I've gotten to the point, you know, we're almost 800 um, episodes. By the time this goes live, we'll be probably over 800 episodes of the show. I've gotten really good at like a quick scan of a pitch and being like, yes, that's what we need. So (laughs) very excited for this conversation and honored that you're taking the time to be here. I always love to start with talking about the dynamics of your personal and professional life a little bit kind of outside and beyond your traditional bio. And is there anything that you're excited about right now that you'd like to share with us? Yeah. I mean, so you're catching me after a month of being abroad. I spent two weeks in India and that was a sort of like time in solitude. I was there doing at an Ayurvedic uh, healing center and Ayurveda is all about digestion. And it was just a very rigorous process. It's called Panchakarma. Very rigorous and uncomfortable and all of that. So I spent time getting my peace back. And then I went for two weeks to Kenya and I uh, spent some time there working with women and girls on entrepreneurship and then also like went on safari and things like that. So I would say, oh my like, gosh, what I am excited about right now is, and this is like so not related to anything I do for the work that we're going to talk about or eventually, but I'm really thinking a lot about movement um, healing. And, you know, like somatic experiences, which is like, you know, the body, like where things may be locked into your body and like muscle memory around trauma. Mm -hmm. Yes. You are speaking my language. 
Okay, perfect. Yeah. Do you dance? I, I don't do any of that work myself, but I'm really interested okay. in that work. And I have friends who do that work and I don't like to be in my body. I like to be in my head. And I have a handful of girlfriends who are do this work and they're like, we need to do some work with you. <laughs> like, yeah. You need to be in your body. You need to feel your feelings. You need to maybe cry and yell. And I'm like, no, thank you. Right. That's okay. Get somebody else to do it. Right. <laughs> I'm like, nope. I think I like would rather go write some articles about being in your head or about being in your body, but I don't want to actually be there. Right. And I think that that is so key because I had my first child when I was 17. And so I've been a parent my entire adult life. Yeah. I don't know a life without being a parent. I'm my first child at 17, second child at 21, third child at what, 34? Yeah, <laughs> so it's like this is a wide range of yeah. body change that I don't know that I was mentally prepared for. And therefore I spent a lot of time feeling like, oh, I don't like the changes that have happened to my body in different ways. And so I think that like, as I've grown to accept my body more, I'm still working on what it means to be in it and just be like, this is mine. This stomach right here that came from these birthing these children, this is my stomach. And I think that sort of disassociation that we could do when we're in our heads or just like trying to run business and trying to do all the things, you sort of find ways to disassociate from any levels of pain because you got to keep going. Or yeah. any levels of like uncomfortability because you got to keep going. And so when you get to a place where you could just really sit in the energy of who you are, I think there's an opportunity to see who you can become. Oh my gosh. Yes. That was so, I mean, we can be done now. So good. And then it makes it worth the discomfort of sitting there if it changes who you can become. And I think that's the hard part that is so it makes it easy to resist and where you're like, mm, no, not right now. Like today's really not a good day to get in my body because I'm going to have to sit there and be real uncomfortable and maybe tomorrow. <laughs> right. And I'm an air sign. So I'm always thinking, right. Like always in my, and here's the thing we have proven to ourselves that being in our head works better than anything we ever done. <laughs> yeah, like- totally. And I mean, and you, that's such a great point. And I think that's so important. And I want to connect that to your story, because if you become a mother at age 17, then you have to be in your head. Like there's a whole bunch of things that you have to do to survive, get by, you know, protect, maintain safety, keep a human alive when you're not a full adult yourself. So being in your head is how you get, and I'm making some assumptions and generalizations, but it's how you get through that. And you then prove to yourself that that's what works. So then to have to shift out of that when you've had decades of like, well, this is what works, staying in my head and do what I need to do and survive and survive. I'm imagining there's a lot that comes with trying to undo that and unravel that. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh my goodness. I already let you know, Sarah, I'm a little weepy today, right? So like you are hitting the nail on the head. I think that like, you're exactly right. That there is a, it's so much, I was doing so much out of need and it was just like on autopilot. Right. So like, like you said, when you achieve, because I also didn't skip a beat. So I got pregnant at 17, graduated from high school, went to college, you know, went through college, straight through college. Also, I had another child in college, went straight through to graduation um, and my degree is in computer science. So like not only like I have this engineering brain. Right. That is showing me that when I systematize who I am and what I take care of it can produce results. And it did having nothing to do with 
intimacy, having nothing to do with emotional connection, having nothing to do with what it means to be vulnerable, when to be vulnerable, how to be vulnerable, but just on a sort of like rhythm of like getting it done, getting it done. And now for the first time in my life, and I'm 42, I have a 21 year old, a 24 year old. They're all, you know, highly qualified functioning adults. And then I have an eight year old, but this is the first time I'm really like, what do I want versus Mm -hmm. what do we need? Oh my goodness. Such a different question. That'll throw you for a loop. Right. It really is. It's like, oh, I have wants. Like I'm allowed at this point to have wants. And I think for listeners, it's so important to remember that like you are raising adults essentially in terms of like, they're going to grow up and be their own people. And that not to forget about yourself along the way, because there's not necessarily a future of physicality between the two of you where that lasts, but for so far into the future, right? So like that right. moments that they're with in the home, the moments that you are, you know, growing them up, there's going to become a time where there's going to be some type of separation. I think that we don't talk about as much as we could, just like mom separation anxiety um, and what yeah. that means to like have adult children, like being a mom of an adult of adult children, feels like a whole different thing to try to figure out. And like, apart from your own identity. Yes. All of that. I have one, so I have a 10 year old. And what's so interesting to me as he starts to just separate a little bit is that I'm very conscientious of everything we do. I only get to do one time. So that feels very bittersweet to me. And so then I get like resentful (laughs) (laughs) like I only get to do it once. And so I want to hold on to it really, really tightly. And as he starts to separate, I think, oh, and when we're done doing all these things one time, then it's just me again. And, you know, I have my, I have a great network and my husband and there's other people, but like this massive part of who I am, I have to go back to myself at the end of the day. And who am I going to be in that moment if I am not being conscientious of who I am in this moment right now, while I am still having, you know, that tight and very reliant relationship with him. And it's it's so much to consider. No, it really is because, and I think this is where like what we should be talking to moms about all the time is constantly defining your identity while you raise children. And I think like that is something that's left out of the conversation. It's like, Identity and raising both happening at the same time feels like, well, all I can do is focus on raising this kid. I can't focus Mm -hmm. on my identity and raising this kid and raise like, I mean, that is probably what I had to master because I was so young. Because I was so young, I had to master. I said to myself, like, I'm not going to miss out on life just because I'm a mom, but I'm also going to be a kick-ass mom. I don't know if curse words are allowed. (laughs) Like, I'm also going to be the best mom I can be. And I don't want to miss out on life because I'm too young Mm -hmm. for that. So I think that's one of the one of the things that forced me to try and maintain all of my hopes and dreams while also being a mom. I hear a lot of moms say things like, you know, I gave up all of my hopes and dreams. Well, I just went to like overdrive on like maintaining my hopes and dreams and growing children. And it doesn't mean I got it all right all the time, but I knew that like, I didn't want to lose a sense of myself completely because I was so young. Yeah. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilled Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. 
The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. I know that your work is really inspired by your own personal story. Do you want to talk about that foundation a bit? You've kind of dug right into that, um, that foundation and then how it led right into the work and you can share about what that work has looked like. Yeah, for sure. So I'm the CEO, founder, CEO of Black Girl Ventures. We work to create access to capital for Black and Brown women founders. I have lived many lives. I'm a career switching business queen. That's what I call it. I've been a K through 12 educator. I've worked for the patent and trademark office. I worked in workforce development. And then here I am starting companies, right? And I was never a good employee. I think I just always felt like there's something here that can be changed. And this is where I feel like motherhood needs uh, way more notoriety because we have the ability to handle so much, juggle so much and solve problems at the same time. You know, it's no wonder you make more money when you have women on your board, right? You know, Mm -hmm. because the idea that we can like kind of shuffle multiple things. So I was doing that to the best of how I thought I could do it in a job, but I was not happy in a job. Mm-hmm. I'm the employee that's, I was like, wait a minute, I think we can make this better. <laughs> and then people are like, oh, here she go. We just want to like, get out of here. You the know, troublemaker. And- I'm the troublemaker too. I'm like, mm, have you thought about this? Or, and I'm also on top, like it's the ideas. And then it's like, 
pointing out the things that maybe like that doesn't seem fair just over there. Like they're just like, can we not have her sitting at the table? <laughs> so I built my own table. That's what you have to do. And so yeah. uh, basically I did the same. So ultimately when I started out, so I got laid off after I got laid off is when I found out I was pregnant. I was engaged at the time after I had my uh, third child. I told my fiance, I want to get a job in art or start a business. And he's like, nah, I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should start a business that doesn't feel safe and sound for our family. And so I'm thinking like, well, I've never been a wife. I'm about to get married. You know, I'm engaged. Like, I guess I got to consider him. Like, this must be what being a wife is like. So let me adapt and compromise and figure that out. So I did not start a business at first. I went and got a job. Went and worked that job, doing some patent search work. Hated it every day. Thought I was faking it really well. Until my boss called me in and was like, look, I think you're amazing, but this is not for you. Mm. And I was devastated. Yeah. I went home and I called California Psychics. <laughs> I was oh God, like, I'm dying. Okay, and what I was tell like, you? oh my God, what am I going to do? I got laid off. I'm not a person that gets laid off. What is happening to my life? And the woman, she told me, when you find a thing that you want to do, the money will come and you're not going to be with that guy. Ooh. Right. Yes. Keep going. The job and the guy. Right. Within two months, everything flipped upside down. Like we got disengaged. (laughs) Like my relationship broke down. I think I was in fight or flight mode. I threw everything out of the living room. I started like painting it over and building my own furniture and just being like, what could I do with my hands? What mm-hmm. skills did I have that I can go and make capital continue to keep my family sound? Mm-hmm. One of the first things I did was I built a teepee in my living room and I rented it out on Airbnb. Everybody thought I was crazy. I, I told them like, I'm gonna build a teepee in my living room and I'm gonna rent it out. And they're like, nobody's gonna sleep in your living room in a teepee. I had one of my friends come over who's like six feet tall. I'm like, I need you to lay down in between these sticks so I can figure <laughs> out if a six foot tall person can lay in here. And they're like, what are you like? Nobody's going to sleep in your living room in a teepee. But little did people know, Airbnb has a teepee option. Oh, uh-huh. my gosh. Who knew? <laughs> and so it actually worked. I had one woman come and stay. But after she came to say, I realized that I didn't want anybody sleeping in my living room in the teepee. On to the next skill. Like, what else do I have? And at a previous job, I learned how to print t-shirts. So I launched the first t-shirt line. It actually bombed. Nobody bought it. And the the second one was called Made by a Black Woman. And I thought to myself, you know what? I was on the phone with a printer I was working with. I said, you know what? It's Made by a Black Woman. I should put that on a shirt. And so I went to the computer Designed the Made in America logo to pat instead of Made in America, it said Made by a Black Woman. And from Love there, it. I put it on a shirt. Everybody loved it. My mom was my first investor. She gave me $10,000 to start it. I took my tax returns and bought my own machines and then just started printing shirts for myself and for like small influencers, small festivals. From there, was able to grow that business through networking, actually met people that worked at Google. I'm um, through one of the festivals. I met a woman that worked at Amazon. So I started doing print merchandise for Amazon and Google for different employees events. And so just like leveled up now, by the way, keep in mind this whole time I have a one-year-old. So <laughs> my jaw just keeps dropping like lower and lower. People can't see the video of us right now. <laughs> it just keeps dropping. Keep going. So I have three children at that point. 
And the one-year-old was trying to get in the teepee with the lady. I had to find a partnership because as soon as I said it, she literally just texted me. She can hear us talking about her. Yeah, she's totally. eight now. When I, so she's trying to get in the teepee with the lady. <laughs> I had to find a partnership to do the print work because of the ink was too much to keep in the house. And she was too little and she would try to get to the ink and it was just not safe for the shirts. And so I had to start keeping everything out of the house, which then also kind of forced me to start looking at like how I work with different manufacturers to kind of be the point of collaboration between the partner, but maybe not have to do all of the printing in-house because I had a small child, which in a way it was interesting because it was a catalyst to me, like also meeting other people in this realm and getting a really tight partnership where I learned other parts of how the manufacturing, how the print world works. And I was actually fine doing that. And the news came out, a report came out that said that Black women are starting businesses at six times the national average, yet receiving less than 1% of venture capital. And then I thought, I can do something about that. Why, why did I think that? Sarah, I don't know. You know, you just, <laughs> the problem came up and I was like, maybe I can try to do something about this. In a previous experience, I did a lot of like performance poetry. I hosted events and things like that. And so I knew how to bring people together. Like That was my jam. I know how to do that. And by doing that, I can produce results. And so the first Black Girl Ventures event was a brunch in a house. About 30 women showed up and four women pitched We voted with marbles and coffee mugs. If you like that person's business pitch, you put your marble in their coffee mug. And the person with the most marbles in their coffee mug, I gave the money we raised at the door to that person. Oh my gosh. And so that was, that was the launch of BGV. And I started working on like, well, how can I grow it? That my engineering brain kicked in. And I think like the mix between being an engineer and artist and a mom, all that mixed in together is just right for the best kind of business owner. Yeah. And so we started moving it into like we work to diversify the audience. Through my relationship with Google, I got another partnership and I was able to move it into Google. And so then we started traveling from city to city. So we did DC, Atlanta, Chicago, Detroit, New York. And it just started, uh, the groundswell started from there. So fast forward to today, we funded 450 women-owned companies. We have, our founders represent about 10 million in revenue and about 3,000 jobs in the U.S. We um, are still growing. We work with amazing partners to get the work done. We have three main programs. So we have a fellowship program that's about leadership for business owners. We have an HBCU program that is about early access to entrepreneurship for youth. And then we have, we continue the BGV pitch, which the way it works now, we have moved from marbles and coffee mugs. We actually have proprietary software that I built out with a team that handles the voting and the donating. So women pitch, the audience votes with their dollars for the pitch that they favor. And then we grant that capital back to the founders. Wow. You just went through a whole bunch of numbers really quick that were really, really impressive. Can you say how many companies again have been founded? 450. 450 and over 10 million in revenue. Yes. That is incredible. And in how many years? This is my seventh year doing it. I mean, that's a short amount of time. Oh my goodness. I want to talk about being scrappy. One of the things I talk about with my business coaching clients all the time is owning being scrappy. And I think that sometimes when things go sideways or they don't go the way that we want, we think that 
we start to make a lot of critical self-judgments, or maybe we're doing the wrong thing, or maybe we just weren't cut out for this. And we don't look at the opportunity to get scrappy and we don't identify as like someone who's been scrappy before and and figured things out. And by the way, like if you're a mom, you're automatically scrappy. Like that is how you keep kids alive. Right. So I think that we don't own being scrappy, a significant and important core value that we should be proud about. (laughs) That's what we like. If you are a mom, if you are a business owner, there's so many different examples, but you have to be scrappy. You have to be creative. You have to be nimble and adaptable. And these are all things that when the pandemic hit, people were not wanting to own and even angry that they had to be those things. And the reality is most of us have already been those things. And that has worked to our greatest advantage. I think that's right. I mean, and to be honest, you will find out what you're cut out for. I think that's the key, right? Like the pandemic forced us into a place. And I think that's what everybody didn't like. But at the same time, you know, I always tell people you're not starting over. You're starting from here. Yeah. And so there's a collection of aptitudes and attributes and things that you've gained over the time of you just doing simple tasks that you thought were nothing. And it is actually a particular skill set that can really grow a company Where I am now, like after going from one employee in like 2019, one employee and a bunch of volunteers to now like 17 employees, I actually liked it when we were more small and scrappy. Like, give me five good people that want to change the world and I'm on a bopping. But when you get bigger, you actually have to create a culture. And that is such a massive responsibility, by the way. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And then there was you just, for into- those listening, there was just a real big eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. Because, you know, creating a culture, it, it means you have to really get hardcore outside of the, we all believe mm-hmm. we all believe is just a foundation of creating the yeah. culture. Right, right? right. But like, now you need to think about nuance. Now you have to think about even like learning styles mm-hmm. and like ways of adaptability or not. Like all of that comes into play and like how you handle that as a company and not as an individual. Right. Right. And I liked it better when it was like, hey, y'all, okay, everybody hop on a call. Let's go. You do this. You do this. I'm going to do this. Got it. Boom, boom, boom. And then we created these massive results because we had a very simple, scalable thing. That's the other thing to remember is that as you're building your business, what is the core operation is it simple enough? So the way I thought about building Black Girl Ventures was after a mega church. And so now I think, that. yeah, so we talk about community now more, but I've been yelling community is the key. Community is the key for a while now. I mean, I say that just because I feel like I'm happy that yeah. we've gotten to a point where like big brands are now like, oh, community. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think like during the pandemic, everybody, that's what we were searching for was community. Cause now you're kind of like in your own bubble. So I started searching, researching, like, how do you build mega churches, right? Because there, there's things about belief and adherence to sort of modes of operations that mm-hmm. go almost unspoken, mm-hmm. right? And so what I had to figure out was what's my Sunday service? Yeah. And the BGV pitch competition became my Sunday service, right? And you think about why do people gravitate to communal environments like church? Why, like, why do they stay? Why do they go and come back years later? You know, and there is an onboarding that you get and whether it is a formal one or whether it is a new member class, like there is a sort of onboarding into the cultural experience of how we are here, how we be here. 
How do we interact here? And then when you get into that cultural experience, it becomes so normal that you don't even notice that you automatically do certain things and, and it becomes really, really natural mm-hmm. to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows what church is. So whatever you believe or wherever you go, however you go, it's not going to be an odd concept. And so that's what I was thinking about when it came to Black Revengers. How can we create a space where it it's natural to think of yourself as a business owner, as yeah. a woman business owner. How does that become more natural? Yeah. Right. How, like knowing that you have what it takes. How does knowing what you have what it takes? Yes. Because like innately what? knowing it, knowing it with your being versus like wondering, maybe I'm not cut out for this, or maybe I'm, I'm just going to try it for a while. Like knowing that this is who I am. Yes. That's okay. What I believe is for me. And not for anyone else's judgment or scrutiny. Like, I believe in this opportunity. I believe in pushing this forward. Now, that doesn't mean you're not coachable or you're not willing to listen to feedback. But like your core belief is what is keeping you driven in a certain way. And sometimes that core belief can just be also have so much fear attached to it, especially when nobody around you really understands it. Like, you know, I was a little bit delusional <laughs> when it came to <laughs> like building that teepee because not one time did I think it's not going to work. Not mm-hmm. once. And I don't know why, to be honest. Like I said, I might have been in fight or flight mode, but I think I was operating off of so much need. So what that taught me is that in our bodies naturally, we are we have sort of machine mechanisms that kicks in when you have the kids, when you have a baby. Yeah. Yeah. At first, you might not feel like you're all the way into it. You right. know what I mean? Like, first, right. you might be like, mm, I don't know about this kid. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want to go back a minute. I think it's so creative and genius to look at what you're doing and or look at the thing that you want to build or the thing that you want to create. And this can be like if you are working on a project within an organization or if you're building your own thing or whatever the thing is, but to look at how other people, communities, groups, companies have done this and already made a template, even though they're not the same thing as you. And so like you're recognizing, like, I want to build this company that funds other, you know, women owned, women of color owned businesses. And I'm going to go look to mega churches as the model to do that. Like no one would be like, you should go check out mega churches. If you're looking to build that your company, like that would, no one would make that connection. It's so perfect. And I mean, I want to also give the caveat, like I'm assuming we're talking about mega churches without the culty element. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. But but that's so, so smart. And I think sometimes we get so stuck in like, I'm going to build this thing and this is exactly how other people are building it. And so I'm going to try to follow their template, which is maybe not authentic to me or which maybe just isn't like the way that I'm going to shine or my gifts are going to shine. And we don't give ourselves permission to think outside the box to go find a model that is totally disconnected to what we're doing and allow that to be the place that opens up for us creatively in order to go build the thing we want to build. 100%. I think that it's so funny to say that because from being a mom, you know, like the loves commercials, like first time moms do this, second time moms, like whoever came up with that was genius because mm-hmm. that is exactly right, right? The first time that pacifier falls down, you pick it up <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, I need to find a sink and I need to like sanitize it for two days, right? That second child, third child comes along, you pick that thing up, you put it in your mouth, you hand it right yep. back to the child and yep. you don't think twice about it. And I think that that sort of natural function around problem solving 
really came from, like I said, being a parent early because it was just natural for me to be like this. There got to be another way to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, like the ingenuity you have yes. is so key. And we forget how much ingenuity. I mean, like I follow some of these like profiles where they're like creating all these things that babies can play with. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even think of that when my kid was small. <laughs> you know, right? yeah, <laughs> I'm like, wow, yes. you're totally like you. You're taking this plastic bag to the max. totally and I think that goes back to like not owning that we're that we're um scrappy and nimble we also don't own that we're creative and this Mm. is something this comes up so much in the women that I work with and it's come up myself in my over the years and I've really shifted my thinking around it and it's made such a big difference but I think that we think of creativity around like only being related to arts and crafts or something Mm. like well I'm not really good at like watercolors so I guess I'm not creative which is so wrong (laughs) limited and limiting. And one of the things I actually have a really good friend who does a lot of work in Myers-Briggs and she was talking to me about intuition and creativity and thinking outside the box. And like, and I was like, oh yeah, this was probably seven years ago, but I was like, yeah, I'm not really like that. Like, and she's like, you are totally like that. She's like, look at your career path, look at what you have built. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I'm not like creative. I'm not. And it took like a solid six months for me to like think on it and process and like put connect dots in my life to recognize oh, you're super creative. Like I always was like, no, I'm like, I was good at math growing up. So I guess I'm not creative. And you tell yourself these weird limiting stories. And now that I've started identifying as someone who's really creative and someone who does think outside the box, I feel like there's unlimited options in terms of what I can do. So if something fails or goes sideways, I'm like, well, I guess we're not doing that anymore. But you know what? There's like 47,000 other things we could do. That's a huge shift. Oh my gosh. You just brought up such a great point because- People think I can't sing and dance. Mm-hmm. So, I, and then I, here's the thing that also came to me where you're saying that is people don't want the responsibility of being creative. This is also why like people yeah. who are great singers or, or great painters don't ever sing or paint. They don't want, they're like, mm, I know I, I don't really want the responsibility of trying yeah. to be great at that. You know, and that's right. what the creative, like to your point about being scrappy and people being nervous about it is because they're looking at the creative place of that and saying, I don't really want to be responsible for it. Like, do I have to maintain, like, is it another label? Right. Is it a label of creativity? And then that means you're going to be expecting me to like be a creative person. And what if I don't do it right? There's all these, what if I don't do it right pieces in there that cause you to like stop yourself from that. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. 
correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're aiming more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. I want people to think about, I love everything you just said, and I want people to think about what if Brandy Carlisle or JLo or Lizzo or like, what if they were like, I don't know, that feels like too much responsibility to like actually go sing on that stage. So I think I just won't do it. Like we get to benefit from that because they decided to take a chance and be accountable to their like grand, grand scale creativity. And when you frame it the way you just did, it is a bit like when you choose not to own that or not take responsibility for it or accountability for your own creativity, like not only what are you missing out on, but what is everyone else missing out on? Like in terms of how you could impact and have ripples across your life. And as you're building your own legacy. I mean, listen, there's a JLo and a Lizzo listening to this right now. Seriously. Yeah. Like, and I think that we have told ourselves that there's only room for a few. Yeah. And and that's just not true. Right. Like, you know, we, music is a great example because I don't know who the next J-Lo, like we don't even have a next J-Lo or Beyonce <laughs> or Michael Jackson or like, they're right. not in sight. We don't right. have them. We don't have the singing and dancing. Right. So it's like, Hey, we like, we need you. And then I think that we need you feels like responsibility. I wonder though, if people would let themselves get to the point of freedom in their creativity, I wonder how could you feel life on a new level right like we're always like searching for something searching for something but you could actually feel life on a new level right and provide and give birth to more things that you don't have to be solely responsible for to the end of time right i think some of that is true too like creativity you could put that out there and it will live on its own yeah i want people to think about and i'll be totally transparent on how I relate to this. And I would love to hear your perspective, but I want people to think about the times when they haven't leveraged their creativity or they've decided to make a choice that's safe because everything else felt too risky or, and with sometimes, you know, if you're, you have to survive and raise babies and what, like, I totally get, we have to sometimes make the quote unquote safe space for, you know, to get our benefits, et cetera. But I'm curious what it feels like to stay in a place where you're not stepping into that creativity. Because I know for me on any given day as an entrepreneur, I could start to look at job listings and be like, you know, maybe I should just go work for someone. And I think this is the thing that's never talked about, which is why I'm excited to hear your perspective that any entrepreneur I know on a regular basis is like, I'm just going to like take a peek at job listings. Like what could I get it? If I could just stop having to build this thing what would it be like to just show up at someone else's office and like clock in? And when we, I think about that and I talk to friends about that and then we talk it through and we're like, oh my God, that would be so awful. But for a moment, it sounds like a good idea because it sounds like an escape from the unpredictability or the roller coaster of entrepreneurship. And then when I really think about it, I'm like, oh my God, never, 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 never. So I'm curious if you have that where you think like, what if I didn't have to be responsible for this creativity and I could just sit within someone else's structure but then you think it through and you're like, oh, 
I mean, it goes back to sitting at the table and being the troublemaker, right? (laughs) I mean, what? Of course, I think about it. Like, I think, so I think that in the beginning, right, I would keep a good Amazon application open in a tab. Yeah, I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna go. I don't know why Amazon was the company, but I always would think to myself, I'm just gonna work for Amazon. I don't got time <laughs> to be doing this. And I think what's so interesting about where I am at this very moment is I'm also thinking I feel a call for something even bigger. Mm. And doubling do down I, on the creativity. Yeah. And how do I do that? How do I answer the call to something even bigger? And keep what I built maintained. I think that's also where people find the challenge of leaning into creativity. It's like, I can't, I don't have time for that. Like, I I can't do that because I got to make sure that this family moves forward. I got to make sure that the family at work, chosen family, you know, of friends, I'm the person that got to make sure everybody else, blah, blah, blah. But you're also the person that got to make sure you are where you want to be. And 100%. And sometimes focusing on other people is our sort of scapegoat from focusing on ourselves. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it's focusing on other people and also judging them. Like, it's like you can totally dissociate from like your own BS and tough times if you're like, that person over there, like, I I don't agree with their decision. Like, you can be so distracted by that that you don't have to look at like your own junk. And yeah, (laughs) 100%. I would love if you could share a little bit about any advice that you have for mompreneurs when it comes to stepping into their creativity and really owning it, whether it's starting a business or becoming more influential in their in organizations or in their community. And I also would love it if you could touch separately on moms of color, because I want to also really distinguish that that's there's differences there in terms of opportunity and also in terms of like communal need for both populations. I think so. My advice for stepping into your creativity is that, you know, know that it's a pool that you may wade in. Like, it's okay to dip your toe in one day, and it's okay the next day to put a foot in, and it's okay to sit on the side of that pool of opportunity and kick your feet for a little bit. Then one day you're like, okay, you know what? This is kind of nice. I'm going to go ahead and put my bottom half in. You know, and another day you're like, okay, I'm I'm just go down and put my shoulders in. And another day you're like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and go underwater. And then another day you're like, you know, I'm going to freaking jump off the diving board. And now you're like a professional swimmer. Like know that there's levels, there's phases, and you have time. We constantly feel like time is running out. Yeah. But you have time. And so I think that reward yourself by stepping into creativity. It's not a matter of like, am I going to have to do more work because I became more creative? Like there is studies all over the place that will speak to unlocking other parts of who you are through leaning into your creativity. And so and it won't feel like work. That's right. It won't feel like like work. Interviews. This does not feel like work to me. Like, yes, it's in the Mm -hmm. middle of my work day, but this is not. I'm not like, oh my God, I can't wait for it to be over. I'm like, God, can we make it longer? <laughs> I mean, bring your children along for the ride. Who, like, my first videographer, photographer, you know, hand me that <laughs> tool so I can do this thing. Totally. All of that was, we did that together, right? When I was right. going and doing hosting poetry events, I took them with me and they became cultured in the process, mm. right? And so sometimes I think that kids want, moms that are just focused on them they don't they want you to be focused on them but the, it is the greatest reward 
for a child to see a happy, functioning mom enjoying who she is in her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like we neglect sometimes the benefit of showing our kids, let our kids see and us be loved, letting our kids see us love, letting our kids engage in what we love mm-hmm. and not just what they love. Like these are experiences that will live with them for a lifetime. They're going to grow up and maybe they'll become parents or maybe they will parent something else. And in that case, you want to be building the most holistically healthy person that you can possibly build, which means you have to put your own mask on first. So I think in that, like stepping out, just know that you don't have to jump off a cliff and build a parachute as you got like, (laughs) those things exist but it's also super okay for you to take it slow right what distinctions do you want to make for moms of color there is a reality around what the expectations the expectations look different the stereotypes are different and you may have I don't want to differentiate hardships in a way that doesn't just speak to general socioeconomic circumstances that, you know, there could be, that is not necessarily a person of color thing. I would say that the way that society treats the child Mm -hmm. puts more of a heavy burden on how you have to teach the child to be right. You know, whether that is, you know, being Muslim and being about being stopped by security all Mm -hmm. the way to whether it is being, you know, a black person and being worried about being killed by police, Mm -hmm. you have different commentary that you're going to be. And this is, but, and I would say that this is why creativity is so important because you have no choice, but to get creative. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like you have no choice, but to think through what is going to be the best way to help my child navigate society. Mm -hmm. And I would say the same for women in general. Yeah. What is going to be the best way to help my girl navigate society, navigate rape culture, navigate prejudice on just having a vagina, mm-hmm. navigate like her choices. Right. I think that like in marginalized communities and underrepresented communities, there's a common ground there. With how are we going to talk our kids through how to live life in this world? And you have to get very creative for that. Yes, yes, yes. To all of that such important distinctions. We have been very creative, like to get yourself that seat at the table, you have to be creative in totally different ways than the mediocre white man. (laughs) 100%. Okay. Oh, this has been such a good conversation. Can you tell people where they can connect with you, where they can find all your work? And we didn't even talk specifically about your audiobook just came out recently. So can you talk about all that? Yeah. So the book is originate, motivate, innovate, Seven Steps for Building a Billion Dollar Network. Originate, Motivate, Innovate is the formula. (laughs) Like I believe that that is the formula for business. That could be the formula for dignity or creativity, for sitting in your body and developing your wellness. And so the seven steps for building a billion dollar network is all about you're not doing it alone and you don't have to. Mm, And so it's available uh, where you buy books. So Amazon Books, Million, Barnes & Noble. Um, and also available now via audiobook. So you can find me at www.omibell.com, O-M-I-B as in boy, E-L-L.com. Um, you can find me even quicker on Instagram at omibell, O-M-I-B as in boy, E-L-L. I am the omibell on Twitter. So T-H-E-O-M, I mean, if anybody's <laughs> going to be still on Twitter <laughs> by this time. 
Um, but <laughs> T-H-E. I mean, now that now that we have the birth of threads, I actually the interview I did right before you, the first person said, and you can find me on threads. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm right. like, Twitter's done. Like, no one's it, gonna be like, yeah, my Twitter handle. <laughs> that's it. And you can find me on Threads. So if you find me on Instagram, you can find me on Threads. That's super easy. Um, if you want to learn more about Black Girl Ventures, we're always looking for donors and volunteers and and people to cheer us on and like and follow as well. We are blackgirlventures.org and we're at Black Girl Ventures on Instagram, at Black Girl Ventures on TikTok, and we are also heavily on LinkedIn. So definitely check us out. Okay. Did you say we are blackgirlventures.org? No, it's just www.blackgirlventures.org. Oh, okay. Got to get all the good stuff here. Okay. Final question. How are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? I am really leaning into my own personal wellness and stillness while still continuing to show up for my eight-year-old and my two adult children. But I'm really for the first time thinking about me in a new way. Oh, I love it. Embracing stillness. I'm going to let that be the final invitation for our listeners today, which is such a hard thing for moms <laughs> and women in general. Um, Omi, this has been fantastic. The next book, you got to come back again. We'll talk all about it. <laughs> no pressure. This has been fantastic. I'm so grateful for you and your work. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. 
I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.